You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster as well as a prospect writer and a baseball writer. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the Marlins acquisition of Anthony Bass, the subsequent move of parting ways with Jordan Yamamoto, which was definitely tough to see but understandable given his struggles, and struggles puts it lightly with what he did in his limited action in the 2020 season. Hope that he lands in a better spot and figures things out, but I'll talk a little bit about why the Marlins ultimately chose to move on from Yamamoto instead of maybe another option, and what kind of went wrong with him, but more importantly, what we can expect from Anthony Bass, who is a good acquisition for the Marlins. I will say that I think he goes right into the place of where Brad Boxberger was and is an upgrade over Boxberger. But if the Marlins roll into this season with the bullpen as is, meaning they do not add one more arm to that stable, then I do not want to hear them tell me one more time that they are trying to win now. I understand that it is that front office speak. You're never going to say, oh, we're mailing it in this year. But the amount of times that Jeter is harped on the, we are going to make the right moves for us. What was the word that they used today that Kim Ang said? the right opportunity has not presented itself for a free agent bat, then why are you coming out and saying that we are interested in a right field bat, right? What is not presenting itself? I've seen plenty of opportunities presenting themselves. What kind of GM speak is that? And I know that it's not all Kim Ang. This is all coming from the ownership and from the top and the money that they want to spend based on the COVID restrictions financially and based on the really unclear situation with the TV deal, which also is bizarre. And I'm not trying to pile on too much right now because I know that it is an incredibly difficult situation here. But at this point, I am asking for one Tyler Clippert, which is ridiculous. I should never have to ask for Tyler Clippert. I should be like waking up one morning, see a notification from Craig Mish on Twitter and saying, oh, nice, the Marlins picked up Tyler Clippert. Kind of like your reaction was when they picked up Anthony Bass. But at this point... I am just hoping, thoroughly hoping, that the Marlins do not go into this season with the bullpen as is. The fact that they might be willing to do that based on what Craig Mish has said, he basically said the Marlins roster this coming season is going to look pretty much like it looks now. So I was somewhat expecting that. I don't know if that means that they're not going to make another move at all, or he was just saying don't expect anything big in right field or whatever. At this point, forget the bat. I'm not that hell-bent on the Marlins adding a bat because of the lack of clarity in the DH situation, and I think Garrett Cooper can shoulder the load going between first base and right field, especially if there's no DH. At this point, I've kind of given up on an impact bat coming into town, but what I will say is this. If the Marlins really were kicking the tires on Andrew Benatendi and keep in mind, he would be getting $6.6 million this coming season, then why were you not in on Jock Peterson, who just signed signed with the Cubs for $7 million? 
Jock Peterson for $400,000 more than Andrew Benditendi is a no-brainer. Maybe the Marlins discussed something with Jock. Maybe Jock didn't want to come to Miami. But ultimately, it's not like the Cubs are the best situation in the world either. And they pretty much look worse than the Marlins are looking going into this year. It's going to be pretty close between the Marlins and the Cubs in terms of flirting with 500 if both teams stay as is right now. That's a whole nother discussion. But why are you looking to trade for Andrew Benatendi, if this is all correct, but not willing to go sign a Jock Peterson who is only going to make $400,000 more and is way, way, way more interesting and impactful of a player as the Marlins really needed somebody that could hit right-handed pitching well and hit for some power. That would have helped them immensely. Ultimately, look, I didn't even love Jock Peterson as an option, but this just puts in perspective how much I have lowered my expectations for this team. I don't even care about Jock Peterson at this point. Just get a reliever. You cannot tell me that you are okay and you are going to count on two Rule 5 guys panning out in your bullpen or moving a starter to the bullpen like Eliezer Hernandez because Edward Cabrera will be ready and go into the rotation. Like, what is your plan here? Because as is, this bullpen would be among, if not the worst, in all of baseball. Yimmy Garcia would be your closer, presumably so. Anthony Bass would be your setup man. James Hoyt, who was good last year. I will say James Hoyt was good, and he seemed like he figured out a slider. But are we really convinced that James Hoyt is what he was last year for a 162-game season and is going to continue that? I don't know. And if he's not, then you're even more screwed because that's probably your best high-leverage arm in terms of striking out guys with runners in scoring position, like the janitor. I always call James Hoyt the janitor because he cleans up the mess I don't know if you can really lean on that guy being that exact player that he was. You know I love Richard Blyer. Richard Blyer is great, and he gets ground balls, but that's not a high-leverage guy. That's a guy that you're going to put in in the sixth or seventh inning that's going to eat you some innings, that's going to be competitive, and be able to pitch in a low three ZRA and get a lot of ground balls and keep the ball in the yard. Adam Simber, Simber, however you say it, there's no way that I'm going to pretend that this guy is anything more than a replaceable bullpen arm. Ross Detweiler is very interesting because he totally overhauled his pitch usage, and I think he is a very good option to get left-handed hitters out based on his uptick in the use of his slider, facing out the fastball. He's definitely the swing-and-miss guy against left-handed hitters, but again, Ross Detweiler is not going to be a high-leverage guy in your bullpen. And then Zach Pop. I think Zach Pop has closer stuff, but are we going to really hold our breath and hope that Zach Pop becomes the high leverage back end arm that we're hoping he can be? Somebody that's been plagued by injuries that was available in the Rule 5 draft for a reason? Like, I think Pop could be very good. And I have high hopes for him, but any team that is really planning to lean on a Rule 5 draft pick reaching his ceiling is probably not trying to win right now. And that's why I don't believe it. You know I like Paul Campbell, but that guy's a long reliever. And that's the Marlins bullpen as is right now. That is absurd. That is just ridiculous. And Anthony Bast, let's be real, he is probably the second best bullpen arm that the Marlins have now. And so I do like the acquisition because relatively speaking, he made the bullpen a lot better. But let's talk about Bass before I blow a gasket because this is just so ridiculous to me. If you're a small market team, good starting pitching and some quality bullpen arms 
is the mold. Look at the Rays. Look what they did. Look at the Royals. The year they won the World Series and the year they went to it before that, they were that solid rotation with a really good bullpen. I'm not even asking for an elite bullpen, but you got to be able to complement that great starting pitching. I am going to be livid when Sixto Sanchez or Sandy Alcantara go six innings of one run ball and then Adam Seinberg blows the lead in the seventh and Alcantara finishes the season with five total wins despite a 3.2 ERA. Like I can already see that happening now. You need to go get an arm. There are so many guys on the market still available. So many. Even if you don't want to go with like a scumbag like Roberto Ozuna, which I totally understand because he is a scumbag. How about like a Ken Giles or Mark Melanson or Tyler Clippard or Shane Green? I'm not even asking for Alex Colomay at this point, but it would be a no-brainer for the Marlins to go get him, to be honest, because they're not spending any money, and that is the one place you can spend some money. How about a Trevor Rosenthal? Humor me, please. Keone Kella, somebody, somebody. At this point, it is ridiculous if they do plan to go out with this bullpen into this season. I'm going to calm down a little bit and get back into my nerdy analytics here and talk a little bit about Anthony Bass because you know what? Besides his one or two outings where the Marlins knocked him around, he was good, really good. I mean, top 2% in expected ERA, top 4% in barrel percentage, top 5% in expected batting average. Moral of the story, he did not give up a lot of contact or a lot of hits, and it voted really well for him. What was the difference? And we talk about bullpen arms all the time, right? We want to see a tangible change when they have that big year after being somewhat mediocre in the years prior. Usually it's pitch usage or finding or improving upon your out pitch and leaning on it a little bit more, which overlaps with pitch usage. That seemed to be the case with Bass, who had thrown the four-seam fastball a lot more in the past, and that pitch got teed off on, especially in 2018, where he threw the four-seam fastball 36% of the time, more than any other pitch, and opponents hit 476 against that four-seam fastball. Granted, it was not a good 2018 for him. Then he goes into 2019, and he's a smart guy. Clearly was like, okay, if people are hitting nearly 500 against this pitch, I probably shouldn't throw it as much. And he doesn't throw it as much. He phases it out, only threw it 4% of the time in 2019, leaning more on a sinker, which was much more effective, got a lot more ground balls, and leaned more on his slider, throwing it a bit more, and it was a really good out pitch for him. Opponents hit just 136 against that slider in 2019. We head into 2020 where he had the best season of his career, smaller sample size, but he had momentum in 2019, 2020, more of the same where he doesn't even throw the four-seam fastball. He actually threw it once, and it might have been a misregister in that one pitch, mostly going with the sinker, which was a quality pitch for him, still got a lot of ground balls, and then the slider, which was lights out for him again, 188 opponent batting average against it, and that's all you want from him. It's just to have that sinker-slider mix because they have that opposite type of break to them so they work off each other really well he even mixes in the occasional split finger changeup, but that's rather rare and it's more just to get left-handed hitters out he threw it 26 times all season 24 of those times were against the left-handed hitters but you like to see him have that pitch he can lean on a little bit to get lefties out overall for bass he really leaned on that sinker and slider and i love that from him because it seems like that is a good 
two offsetting pitches to use off each other, and it's been effective for him. And I expect him to be very good this year too. I think he's going to be a solid seventh or eighth inning guy. He does not quite get the swings and misses of a high leverage arm that you would want. Only a 21% strikeout rate, which isn't bad by any means, but you want to have at least one guy in your bullpen that you can really count on to get closer to the 30% range on K rate because you need to get swings and misses in jams. That was James Hoyt. But again, I don't think you can count on Hoyt getting quite the swings and misses that he got last year, this coming year. I think that Bass will probably pick up a few saves this year. He's going to have some save situations. If he ends up being the hotter arm out of the pen and Yimmy Garcia struggles, at this point, Bass might be the closer. And that's what's crazy to say about this is there's a good chance Bass might be the closer. He picked up seven saves for the Blue Jays last year, was mostly their de facto closer. And I think that there's a good chance we'll see the same thing with the Fish this coming season, unless the Marlins decide to go get another arm. I'm going to talk about Jordan Yamamoto and ultimately his departure from the Marlins here, why the Marlins decided to let him go instead of maybe another option and a little bit more on the bullpen situation because obviously I haven't talked about that enough. First, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership? You can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car parts you need for any make or model. rockauto.com is a family owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section so they know that we sent you over. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. This episode's also brought to you by our friends at Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors. They all taste like a dessert covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and best of all, they're great for a keto diet, low in sugar, low in fat, low in carbs, high in protein. What else could you want out of a protein bar? And best of all, if you go to builtbar.com right now and use the promo code locked on, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's builtbar.com, promo code locked on for 20% off your next order. So let's wrap up here with some Jordan Yamamoto talk and then a little bit of my final thoughts on the bullpen situation. So Yamamoto showed a lot of promise in 2019 where he pitched to a 4-4-6 ERA across 15 starts, struck out 82 in 78 and two-thirds innings. He did give up 11 bombs and he did walk 36, but only gave up 54 total hits. So it was pretty much either he was giving up a bomb or he was striking guys out. And it was a weird kind of stat line for him there where he was either lights out or got knocked around pretty good. And we saw that in 2020 where he got knocked around as badly as I've seen any major league pitcher really ever. 11 and a third's innings, he gave up eight home runs and walked seven. Almost a home run per inning, which was, it was brutal. That one Braves game, it was agonizing. And I know the Marlins had to preserve their pitching, but just to leave Yamamoto out there stranded on an island, he could not get anybody out. It was at the point where if they put me out there, I don't think it would have been much different. Every pitch he was throwing was getting sent. And I mean, eight home runs in 11 and a third's innings is crazy. 27 hits in 11 and a third's innings. I mean, that's literally what you would expect a high schooler to go out there and do. And I'm not trying to be mean to Yamamoto. It's just a testament to what the heck happened to this guy. I think when you look at the numbers from 2019, 
He had a little bit of luck there. I would watch him, and he just had to be so perfect to get guys out. He does a great job of spinning his breaking ball, and he gets some good spin rates on the fastball, but the reality is he does not throw hard. He threw harder in 2019, was averaging around 91.5 miles per hour on the four-seamer, and 2020 was averaging 89.7. You can't throw 89.7 miles per hour in the major leagues unless you're literally Greg Maddox and expect to have success. And that's why guys were hitting 550 against that fastball. They were 11 for 20 with four bombs against his four-seamer. That's not going to fly. Actually, it is going to fly out of the yard. And that was the problem for Yamamoto. He's got to find a way to get some of that velo back, whether it's going to driveline, whether it's doing some sort of throwing program. I don't know what he's been doing in this offseason, but the Marlins seem to be pretty sure that He's not quite going to figure it out to the point where he's worth holding on to. They also do have a ton of starting pitching depth, and it's not like Yamamoto is a guy that's going to translate to the bullpen very well. A great story is someone that was drafted very late back in the 12th round out of high school and was able to climb through the minor leagues and have some success. Of course, people are going to be talking about how he was included in the Yelich trade, but he was the last piece, almost a throw-in in the Yelich trade. And at the end of the day, the Marlins got 15 starts and 15 pretty decent starts out of a guy that was the final piece in the deal. I know the trade looks pretty bad, but let's not act like this was some surprising outcome that, oh my gosh, the starting pitcher that the Marlins got in the Yelich trade already just got released. Like He wasn't even expected to make it to the big leagues. I, I really don't believe many people were expecting him to climb all the way up, and he did, and he was solid for a little bit. What I think was surprising here is that the Marlins ultimately did not decide to trade him when the rumors were floating at the end of 2019 and in the offseason because the Marlins knew how much starting pitching they had, how much starting pitching depth they had, and you had an opportunity to cash in on a guy where if you were watching, he was pretty maxed out there. That was where everything was working for him. He had some good starts, but he had to have everything working. He had to be locating all of his pitches. He had to be spotting up so well and mixing up so well and have hitters off balance to get the most out of what he had that you were very much seeing the most of what Yamamoto had. And that's why I think if you could cash in on anything, the Marlins should have done it. And I think they're kicking themselves a little bit on that. It's not like they were going to get a top prospect for him, but they definitely could have gotten something for a young, controllable starting pitcher that was putting up some decent numbers. The Marlins, I guess, thought that what they were seeing was something that could continue. I was not ever totally sold on what we were seeing. And I think you probably may remember me talking about that because the thing is, you could just see it through his high walk rates. He doesn't have bad command. The reason why he walked so many, even when he was going well, was that he has to nibble at the corner so much and has to be so careful. Guys like that always worry me because you're not always going to be able to nibble at the corners and that's where you're going to give up a lot of home runs. He was able to be effective when he was nibbling at those corners, but When he wasn't, when he had to put it over the plate or when he would miss over the plate, that's why you see so many home runs even when he was going well. So I don't think that it was a tough decision for the Marlins to let Yamamoto go. I'm not really sure who else would have been a better option to part ways with. Sure, you could say one of the bats, one of the outfielders, but all those guys are just much more upside, much more valuable. I think with Yamamoto, he could have went out there and done more of the same of what we saw in 2020, and then you'd be kicking yourself for whoever else you may have given up. I do hope that Yamamoto lands somewhere else and it works out for him. I know that people would probably be making fun of the Marlins again, like, oh, this guy was a Marlin. Not only did 
did they get him in the Yelich deal? They released him, and now he's good again. I can already hear it now. But you know what? Let's not worry about that. This is this guy's career, and he seems like an awesome man. I've heard really good things about him from media that he always made himself available has been nothing but nice and personable, so wish him the best. And ultimately, the Marlins just did not have much use for him anymore. As for the rest of the Marlins bullpen, if I'm going to put my chips forward on one guy or one guy that I really want on my wish list, because you know what? I'm going to have to be pretty reasonable at this point. I think Clippert is still interesting. He gets a lot of swing and miss. He'd probably be one of the better swing and miss guys in the Marlins pen as he has continued to shy away from the fastball a little bit as his velocity slowed down and used the changeup more, and he's been really good using that changeup. It's actually made his fastball even better where he gets more swings and misses on it on the upper part of the zone. Of course, if we're putting ethics aside, Roberto Ozuna is the best pitching option in the free agent market, but I just, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm not going to say I'm holding my breath for a guy like Roberto Ozuna. Brandon Workman was one of the worst relievers in baseball after he got traded to the Phillies, so we'll see. You know, maybe is he a guy you want to go get? I think I could see him going back to Boston, most likely. More than likely, I'm thinking you look at Ken Giles based on what he's been able to do in the past. I know he was bad last year, but I think that his track record speaks for itself. Tyler Clippard is a good option. Joachim Soria at this point, I would take that. Hell, Sergio Romo, screw it. Bring that guy in here. He throws frisbee sliders, needs some swing and miss. Bring that guy in. I don't care. I would say the number one option, though, is Trevor Rosenthal, 31 years old. Seems like he put it together again. Great clubhouse guy. Seems like an awesome dude, but I assume Rosenthal may want to stay on the West Coast. We'll see. That would be maybe number one for me or Keone Kella as well. There's so many options out there. There's literally no excuse to not add one more arm. So I am calling on you, Marlins. You better add one more arm or else my poor listeners are going to have to listen to more of these rants. And I can promise that Marlins fans will be frustrated because as I've said in the past, this was a very special season for the Marlins in 2020, despite everything that happened. And they made their way to the playoffs. They need to keep those fans that gained interest again in the fish, they got to keep them around. That doesn't mean you have to go get Lindor, but you have to prove that it wasn't a total fluke. I'm not saying making the playoffs again is proving that, but even if you're competitive, if you, even if you're flirting with 500 and have out, outside wildcard hopes where you're at least playing meaningful baseball deep into the summer, that would get people still interested in the Marlins. Right now, I don't think you can really surefire say that the Marlins will be competitive to the point where they will even be playing meaningful games late into the summer if they roll out with this bullpen. And not that one guy is going to change that, but at least at least humor me. At least try. It just makes no sense that you won't pay a couple million dollars for a reliever at this point. I apologize if it was a little too ranty in this episode, but I think that a lot of Marlins fans are on the same page with me here about the frustrations. I will say I've been pretty patient. I've been telling fans to be patient because they don't need to make the moves right away, but slowly it's starting to seem like they're not going to do anything. And now I'm starting to get a little bit antsy and a little impatient. As always, thank you for listening. I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you on Monday, and hopefully the Marlins may have done something over the weekend. Maybe I'll do a bonus episode if they actually do something, but thank you for listening as always, and I look forward to talking to you again.